0: Rojas and Tim Grubbs. Welcome back, fans, to another episode of Surge Baseball and Beyond. This is episode eight. This is Cookie Rojas, your host. And as always, I'm joined this time remotely by Mr. Tim Grubbs, the voice of the Wichita Wind Surge. How's it going, Tim?
1: Cookie, it's doing great. Um, you know, we're coming up on Memorial Day weekend. I swear, every time you and I talk, it's raining, and it doesn't <laughs> rain that much here. Like I, as a person who's paying attention to his yard and when to mow, and you know, I mean, especially that I don't have as much to do. I swear, every time we do a podcast, it's raining outside.
0: <laughs> it's true. Last <laughs> week it was raining. This week, was, yeah, I think it's a pattern. I don't know what it is, but today. Uh it's a heck of a rain shower, I'll tell you that much. We're recording uh Thursday. I'm here at the stadium. Uh you are working remotely from home and uh it is lightning and thunder and uh definitely a good downpour here in Wichita, Kansas. So Yeah, uh, I was rumbling
1: here a little bit ago. It's actually calmed down a little bit, but yeah, uh, I went I'm for sure a nice
0: <laughs> Yeah, I went for I went for a run and it, it wasn't raining, it was just cloudy. And then just as I was finishing my run, a big lightning bolt I saw it out of the corner of my eye. Hit to my left, and I said, "Okay, I definitely got to get home." Um, yeah, and, bail
1: uh, on that. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. And it's one of those things. It's funny that you mentioned that because I was just thinking about that. Um, you know, working from home and then working from the office and going back and forth. It is a relatively. I mean, I don't know. I'm not from here, nor are you. Um, and maybe I should ask Brian, this our director of sales and marketing. But um, it seems like this would have been a really nice dry spring for baseball, relatively speaking, compared to where you know what we're accustomed to.
1: Now, the first homestand, I was paying attention to the weather because, obviously, you have those. I had those dates programmed in my head of, like, mm-hmm. we were home now, you know, now we're, you know, on Monday we play a day game, and then after the game we were to bust to Memphis. Um, that first homestand, it was a game that I think it would have been around 75 degrees at first pitch, and depending on how long the game lasted, it, it was cold when the game ended. It was down, like, 40. Yeah, but other yeah. than the first homestand, when I have paid attention to so when we're home and when we're on the when we on the road, which I think I think we'd be home right now. I actually kind of lost track as we get into later Yearly May. Both, yeah. Um, it's it really has been pretty good. The weather has been awesome, so I think this yeah. would have been this would have been great. So it's unfortunate we're not playing. Yeah, we hope that um, you know at some point, you know everything is resolved and we're able to get get throw out the yeah. baseball around the Fourth of July or something like that.
0: Yeah, right now, I think uh, we're in phase 1.5. Uh, the governor of Kansas uh, issued that information, and I think we're shifting over to phase two. I think most states have like a, a multi-phase plan for getting folks back out and opening up the economy, et cetera. Uh, so I think we have phase two. I think when, when this when this podcast is aired, uh, we'll be in phase two, and I have to go through my documents and, and see. But a lot more things will be opened up. Still some social distancing involved. Um, so it is, it is, things are, are happening, but that being said, I mean, one of the things that you and I have both experienced is that we just got to stay even keeled. We don't know, you know, what the future holds. We haven't heard anything from major league baseball to certain, you know, decidedly yet from major league baseball or minor league baseball, which obviously the major league baseball decision will impact what happens at the minor league level. So we just got to wait and see. That's all we can do. Yep.
1: That's all you can do. Let's just, just play the waiting game and just be patient.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But in the meantime, though, we've had some great television. You and I, I think we started off this podcast. We had both seen uh, Tiger King. But uh, let's shift gears. We, we both, like most of America, were blessed to see um, Last Dance, the documentary on ESPN, uh, documenting uh, Michael Jordan. Um, I had a chance uh, to watch it, and I got a chance to watch it while my sons were watching it on the East Coast and watching it live. I'm, I'm not looking forward to Sunday night. I mean, that was great. Two hours. And you know what's great though, Tim, and you're an East Coast guy too, is the fact that this started at like eight o'clock versus nine o'clock.
1: Right. Well, I will that say was- this. I grew up in the Eastern time zone in Pennsylvania and I thought it was great. And I moved to New Orleans, which was the central time zone, obviously Wichita central. I guess when I was a mid 20, a little bit late, later 20s. And I absolutely love the central time oh,
0: Me too. I it's, love the
1: world series and Monday night football and Sunday night football. I love everything starting an hour earlier. It's, it's awesome.
0: It's fantastic. I mean, I, 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 keep, I still sometimes get confused because I know my son's like, oh, don't forget it's at nine o'clock. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. It's eight o'clock so here. That's so great. I mean, we're done. You know what I mean? At 10 o'clock, you don't have to stay up at, you know, till 11 and then look at stuff and, It was fantastic. But we digress. Tell me your thoughts about the last dance.
1: Well, it was great. I I really enjoyed it. Obviously, I watched his entire career. Um, You know, at times I rooted for the Bulls. At times I didn't, you know, being a Knicks fan and all that stuff, I kind of didn't always root for him. But it really was good. And when I first saw that it was going to be 10 hours, and (laughs) I I was like, wow, like, that's a lot of. And I I, I don't think I was ever bored. You know what I mean? No. There were some episodes that were better than others, and I will say that. I think, what is it, seven and eight? Not um, the final weekend. The weekend before was just great television. Yes, and, yes. and the guys did a great job. Uh, one of the things I did that I, was fun watching it after we had Todd Radom on our podcast last week was all the – you forget about how ugly the uniforms were.
0: Yes. Utah the Utah Jazz uniform.
1: Ugh. Utah's were terrible. Ugh. And then you see some – now the Bulls, very sharp. same yes. Basically the, red, the, the black, same the exact white. uniform yeah. as now. Yeah. But yeah, the jazz are just brutal. That's just a ugly. Um, yeah, bad There logo. were a few other ones. Uh, I can't remember. The the Pinstripe Indiana Pacer ones eh, with yeah, Reggie not a fan Miller. I was like, yeah. not a fan. Nah, you not know, at all.
0: <laughs> not <laughs> a fan at all. But, but it was I mean, fun
1: seeing the old unis.
0: It was. And how like amazing that they gave full access to that documentary crew back then. And we're able to show all this stuff so many years later. You know, what I? What blew my mind was just seeing how young, you know, Michael was, even though he, like nowadays we've grown accustomed to kids being in high school and making the leap to the NBA, you know, some successfully, some not so successfully, but, you know, seeing Michael in college and, and learning about Michael more than I ever had before, I was just fascinated at the evolution of, of Michael and say what you will he wasn't able to to get over the hump and it's great to see those you know he's got to get over the the pistons you know got to get over the celtics and all those things just to get there but that he needed the additional pieces in order to make it happen that to me i think was just extraordinary to see once he got scotty pippen on board and horace grant for that first run and then being able to have pippen with him um and then bring in dennis rodman um I was just blown
1: away by that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Kerr, Paxson,
0: all those guys. Yeah.
1: The whole thing was really good. You know what? One of the other things, and your your kids probably didn't remember, but the one also great thing about watching this was also seeing the um, social media response. Like, I know one of my good friends um, made the comment, he had no idea that like Jordan never could win the big one. Like he yeah. always thought Jordan was a champion out of the beginning, and because he wasn't around, or he would have been too young to realize right, that right. Jordan didn't win a title until what a seventh season in the NBA. And, yeah. you know, he was basically a one man gang. You know, you and I, three or four podcasts ago, we talked about when Michael single handedly took on Larry Bird and the Celtics, <laughs> what was it, 62 and points in the game. And <laughs> I, I, mean, remember I remember watching that, that game, game
0: live. I re- yeah, me too. I remember watching that, and it was great to see. You know, my, my sons, you know, we have a little group me chat and they were just like, and, and they knew of this stuff, but they were very young or they obviously, I didn't have my sons at that point, but right. but, they, but they they, knew the legacy, but to see it. And the thing that really blew me away too is whoever put together the music for this. I mean, if you have Spotify, there's a Last Dance Spotify playlist. I, I highly recommend you download it and, and uh, you know, like it and add it to your playlist the music was fantastic in this. It really captured the time of what was going on, you know, in, in the world, you know, and in basketball. And
1: you, you mentioned it before, and I know was it Nick that made the comment to you about the the video montages, how they put it together. They really did do a really nice job, yeah. You know, of yeah. showing highlights and showing But no, the the idea, getting back to what you had just said, the 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 idea that they allowed that access, those cameras, mm-hmm. and. Just an unlimited thing. You know, I'm sure 10 years from now, we'll be, LeBron's going to allow this to happen and we're going to see the, you know, the version, you know, the LeBron James version of all of this, mm. but it won't but it, be the same. It will be right. different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause, you know, he's bounced from spot to spot to spot, you know, right. and it's been different teammates, different coaches. And all that sort of stuff, but no, it's a great story. And you know, I'm ready for Sundays for episode eleven and twelve, the Washington Wizard era or something. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad they didn't show that. I'm glad it ended where it was. I don't even want to think about that era. What, what did you think about the uh, the the baseball era when he went down and uh, played in uh, Hoover? Uh, right. I thought it was interesting. I had a chance, and I don't know if you were there, but. We had a, uh, a promotional seminar there in uh, in Alabama, and they took us out to that ballpark. And, um, you know, we had a um, – it was all minor league professionals and whatnot, and we got a chance to tour the ballpark, and we got a chance to see his locker is enclosed in, like, plexiglass. You know, that's where uh, MJ was. And uh, Terry Francona, who I, you know, respect from the Red Sox, uh, you know, championships, was his manager. But it was interesting to see, you know, that – he did pretty well to start his career, and they they, they put him in, in that level of baseball because they felt that if they put him any lower there wasn't enough security. I think it's what they said in the in the uh, in the documentary. But it was interesting to see him. I mean, he could have been he could have been a ball player. I think um, once the pitchers figured him out, though, you know, they stopped you know stopped throwing him fastballs uh, and started throwing him some changeups and whatnot. But knowing Michael as an athlete, I just I found it interesting.
1: Now, the following year – now, I've been to Birmingham because I was in that league for three years. A couple of years later as a broadcaster in uh, the, with the Smokies in Tennessee, um, that was the year before – Michael's year in minor league baseball was 1994. It was the year before I got into minor league baseball. Oh, wow. In 1995, I was a broadcaster for the single-A Chicago White Sox affiliate. Wow. And I remember in Hickory, North Carolina, and I remember talking – to RGM and, and some of the people that were on staff, they had backdoor discussions the year before about Michael being in Hickory as a crawdad. Wow. Wow. And because of limited access airports and different things, they, they decided that Michael had to go to Birmingham. So I already knew all of the logistic issues of being in a smaller stadium like Hickory, huh. you know, that he couldn't have played there. Um, mm. And it's, it's sad because, you know, I do think, you know, especially if they could have come along, they could have s- slowly brought him along, yeah. you know, he may have been able to. And it's what's really sad. And one aspect I kind of forgot about until, you know, watching the Jordan documentary was he would have played baseball again in 1995 had there not been the lockout. Oh, wow. And yeah. it is a twist and turn, like, because of yeah. the. The issues of baseball, you know, the owners and players, which we're dealing with right now, yeah. that, you know, that that stopped him because he wasn't going to walk across right, the line. Right, he's not going to cross the line, right. He yeah. wasn't going to be a replacement player. And, right. you know, and that's why he's like, you know what, I'm going to give up on it. But, yeah. you know, that is an interesting twist, you know, and and it's funny because had, you know, at the end of his career where, you know, episode 10 leaves off, you know, there was a huge lockout in the NBA that following year. And that's oh. why I think a lot of people didn't realize that he had—he was really retired because they didn't even start basketball. The NBA didn't resume, you know, that following year until February, right. and it was a shortened season. I heard uh, Michael Wilbon the other day make the comment. He's convinced that that team would have won a seventh, only because Can, it would have been a shortened season. A he said, had season. it been a full season, he didn't think he—he yeah. he did say, I guess, I don't think he would have won it had it been a full season because that team is broken down and so old, but he thinks because of it being a shortened season, they might've been able to pull it off, but it's, it's great stuff looking back on it. And and I think they did a tremendous job with it.
0: Two, two things that come to mind. I mean, we've been blessed you and I to see athletes, you know, professional athletes play in two sports, you know you know, Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders, you know, come to mind. Um, But Knowing that Michael went from basketball, you know what I mean, to baseball, you don't think that. But Mike, Michael always loved baseball. I mean, they showed. Yeah, because we haven't seen. As a
1: kid, yeah. We really haven't seen anybody else do that. Um, There was a pitcher I saw um, fifteen years ago, Mark Hendrickson. He was a, he was a pitcher, real tall, lanky guy. He Mm. played for the New Jersey Nets in the NBA for parts of two years. He kind of was a fringe player, and he went and became a pitcher. And I saw him in the minor league levels come up. He made it to the big leagues with Toronto. Um, spent a few years with Tampa Bay. He was like a situational reliever, but he ended up spending a, a substantial amount of time in the big leagues. But he was a guy that wasn't really well known. You know, he wasn't well known right. in either sport. But he's right. a guy that made it at the NBA. Other than that, I don't know anybody. Um, obviously, we all know, you know, what Dion did and right. what Bo Jackson yeah. did, and who knows what Bo would have been like if he could have stayed healthy. Cause yeah. I think that would have been a tremendous story. And Brian Jordan, do you remember him? Yeah. He played, right. both. Yeah. he played the NFL and major league baseball and yeah. was pretty good at both. I think he was a better yeah. baseball player, but it's cool seeing guys play both sports and, you know, maybe Tebow can pull it off. Yeah. yeah I don't know if he will, but yeah. you know, obviously another year here, you know, maybe no minor league baseball or no major league baseball could hurt right. him as he's getting a little older, but right. you know, yeah, that would be interesting, you know, interesting. see these guys that can play two sports.
0: Yeah, Well, I mean, one of the great things about it is that uh, we got a chance to live through it. We got a chance to see it. And I'm just uh, – it makes me laugh, though, like you said at the beginning of this podcast. Man, seeing some of those ugly uniforms. Oh, boy. Jeez. <laughs> That's probably my
1: big, big takeaway. And the Bulls uniforms back in 84 were pretty ugly. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. it's funny how they changed them so fast.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: You know, how they went from, not very pretty, but by, I guess it was 85 or 86, you know, they (sighs) went to that sharp look. And I remember being, you know, in junior high, black and red was sharp. You know, I always thought that those were good colors together and Hmm. all that sort of stuff. But no, it was really fun. Uh, I certainly enjoyed it. Now, um, I see ESPN has... Uh, sped up a few other 30 for 30s yeah so i'm hoping that there's some good ones you know this summer that can entertain us in
0: in the pipeline yeah all right so before we uh head off to our interview i gotta ask you a question and i'm sure the entire world wants to know what uh tim grubs feels lebron or jordan
1: well i I would have to say michael jordan is is number one all Uh, right the person who really the person who really gets gypped on this whole thing is kareem Really? You know, yeah, because Kareem went three for three in the in the college basketball. Okay, and just dominated. He's the NBA's number one scorer, uh-huh. and you know what I mean. You take a look at his stats, and when he was forty years old, mm. Kareem averaged fifteen points a game, seven rebounds a game. Now people forget. I mean, yeah, he was with Magic, <laughs> and he was worth Worthy, and yeah, he was he with Byron also, Scott. He, he also won, won a ton Bucks. of championships, yeah. but I think because he was older. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he came in a different era. I think the one thing that saves Michael not not that he's not number one, he's number one, yeah. but the Nike machine. You know, yes. they have, it just has oh, put man. him at such a pedestal. Yeah. Um. You know, my broadcast partner in New Orleans for a long time, Ron Swoboda, has always said, you know, because the Mets were so bad in the '60s that their the year they broke through, the Miracle Mets in 1969 that team was just put on such a pedestal because there wasn't, there was no sports center. There gotcha. wasn't much around back then. And he talks gotcha. about how that team is just looked at. So revered. Yeah. And I think because, and I did, they did point it out in the documentary that everybody were converse. I remember those cool commercials. I do too. Yeah. And, Bird and yeah. Mark Aguirre and uh, Bernard King, they were cool. And then M- Michael was the first one to really venture off. Yeah. And yep. then, hey, it worked. And Great I think story. it really does help you know his you know on how he's appeared not, not that oh, yeah. he didn't back it up no but he's definitely number one
0: i agree uh, 100 you know. percent. I, and i mean i was never a bulls fan obviously i'm a celtics guy and you're a knicks guy but i always was just blown away at his ability so thank you espn if you're listening we want to thank you for putting out that amazing content and hopefully you've got more in the pipeline uh folks, we've got a great uh podcast coming up. We've got an interview with uh Tommy Goodman, who's the executive director of the Caribbean Educational and Baseball Foundation located in Washington DC. And if you're wondering why, it's because our ownership group CBI, um that is their foundation. That's uh their bridge to the Caribbean. Uh Tim, ever been to the Caribbean?
1: I have been to Puerto Rico. Ah, that counts. I have been to Jamaica nice all Um, right i think that's oh i've been to the bahamas but i don't think that counts is it right yeah it does
0: yeah i've been to the bahamas and i've been to jamaica and i've been to um what you call it uh the dominican so
1: yeah and we both we both point out in the interview not that we're that we both have been to baseball in other places you've been to mexico and you loved it i was in puerto rico and uh i thought it was awesome the one thing that i'm i regret of my trip in winter ball is i didn't grab i i think at one point i did have the rosters and i wish uh, i still had it to see oh, who i cool. remember seeing alomar uh roberto alomar was in the game because oh, wow. he had already been a major leaguer so i already knew his name but i wonder how many of those younger kids you know that yeah. i knew years later yeah, that's but true i didn't get a fun. roster
0: yeah and i know i i Saw they had some American players, and this was a playoff game that I was at in Mexico, and they did have some American uh, players on each team, uh, American-born, American players that are playing there in the fall and winter, and and um, I think one of them was with the Baltimore Orioles. I'd have to go back and see who
1: was on that roster. But but it is a different great, brand, and we touch on it, and it really is fun. It's, it's, yeah. it's awesome.
0: So sit back, relax, enjoy it. Thank you so much for being a part of our podcast, too. The numbers keep going up. Uh, we really appreciate it. Send us your questions and uh, uh, we'll, we'll see you at the end of this uh, episode. Hey fans, uh, this is Cookie Rojas and I'm on the line right now with uh, Tim Grubbs and I'm also with Tommy Goodman who's the executive director of the Caribbean Educational and Baseball Foundation. How's it going, Tommy? How's it going, Tim?
1: going fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me on today. I'm doing well, too. It's great to have you on, Tommy. We're excited to talk about CBI and some of the things you're involved with.
0: Yeah. Now, Tom, um, folks, just so you know, we're recording once again uh, via social uh, distancing measures here, but, uh, I am at the stadium, and uh, Tim is at his home here in Wichita. And Tommy, you're in Washington D.C. Is that correct? That is
2: correct. Yep, I'm at home too.
0: Ah, oh, Dave. I mean, Tommy, me, what's it been like for you? Uh, you're the executive director of the Caribbean Educational and, and Baseball Foundation. And what we've been doing uh, with our podcast is just introducing uh, members of the of the team here in Wichita, but also your part of the foundation of the CBI, which is the ownership group of both the Wichita Wind Surge and also uh, the Port Charlotte uh, team as well. Um, How long have you been in that role? And and tell us a little bit
2: about the foundation if you could. Sure, yeah, happy to. So I've been in the role uh, full-time as executive director for about two and a half years. I've been working with the ownership group from CBI for about seven, uh, because I was serving as an outside consultant uh, here in Washington to the group uh, prior to Taking on the reins of the foundation, uh, the foundation itself is a five hundred one c three nonprofit uh, with a mission to build bridges between uh, the U S. and our Caribbean uh, friends through a passion for baseball. And we've been working uh, all across the region, uh, you know, throughout throughout my time and, and prior to it, uh, focused on Cuba, Dominican Republic, Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Mexico, and other uh, geographies as well.
0: And and Tommy. Um for you, one of the things that you know we've gotten to know each other uh, a few years ago uh, when we first connected, and uh, we share some some similar you know background. We both have our our law degrees. You uh, have yours, I believe, from the University of Virginia. Is that correct? That is
2: correct.
0: And um, one of the great things about you, Tommy, is I I really enjoy is whenever we get together, we get an opportunity to really practice our español. So um tell us a little bit about that how long have you i mean you are i think even more fluent than i am and i'm 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 you know colombian american tommy your spanish is spectacular tell, tell me a little bit about your education i mean you're originally from where and and you went to school and and, and that type of uh stuff that our fans want to know
2: sure first of all, i'll say gracias for the for the kind words I <laughs> De nada, <know>. senor. <laughs> um i uh it's a you know, good pronunciation i I uh, first started to learn Spanish uh, in, in high school, and then uh, in undergrad, where I also went to UVA, I studied abroad in uh, Valencia, Spain, um, mm-hmm. and I lived with a the family there, and of course, in order to learn a foreign language, the, the best best way to become fluent is, is through full immersion. So if I wanted to eat, uh, I had to learn how to speak Spanish, living with a family, and um, I really fell in love with, with the language and and, uh, and with traveling, with living abroad. So after I graduated from UVA, I spent three years as a school teacher uh, in Costa Rica. Uh, again, I lived with a family for my first wow. year there and then uh, in my own apartment. But, um, you know, that full immersion, again, um, enabled me to, to learn not just the language, but also the culture. Um, so... After spending the time in Central America, I came back to UVA for, for law school and then, and then moved to Washington, D.C., uh, where I practiced as a lawyer in both the, the private and the public sectors um, uh, before moving on in my career.
0: See, one of the things I love about that, Tommy, is, um, you know, it's it's great for our listeners who might have uh, themselves or might have kids who are in school. That Spanish class can definitely come in handy. Just keep focusing on that Spanish but the other part of it, too, is that um, you've been able to utilize your education to really do some interesting things because you worked in the, uh, in the, in the private sector, in the public sector, um, and you've done some tremendous, tremendous work. You traveled. Uh, what's that been like for you with the whole COVID right now? It must be kind of unique that you haven't been able to travel or, or do some of the things that you've normally done.
2: Yeah, no, and, then, and Tim and I were talking earlier about uh how long it's been since we've had a period of sort of being stationary and not being in a hotel or an airplane or uh, in my case being in a in a foreign country. So it's been it's been very difficult. Um but thankfully we do have uh technology and uh for us especially with the foundation, um uh staying connected is is very important to our, our partners and the beneficiaries of our programming um in the region. So uh we just had to rely more and more on on email and Zoom and um, and texting and WhatsApp just to uh, make sure that uh, you know, we, we continue to monitor what what we're doing in the region, what we want to do, and to keep our relationships strong. so it's been it's been very difficult, like it has for everybody, uh, but we'll be back on the road uh, soon enough, I hope.
1: Tommy, I guess I can I can kick in here and uh, ask you a few questions while we're talking. Um, you know you're you're and me are in the same boat. we're used to traveling, and uh, I haven't traveled in a while, and it's kind of odd. <laughs> But uh, for you, I mean the the name of the foundation obviously is Caribbean Baseball and Education Foundation, and I guess that gets back to your, your time as being a teacher. What all of you, uh, what how how have you all expanded on that in, in recent years?
2: Yeah, well, it's a big uh, it's a combination. My my career track has led me here. Um, again, I, I initially uh, came in contact with the group and the project through my role as a, an international business consultant in Washington. Uh, But I did lean on my legal background and my teaching background because uh, our programming is focused on on youth. Uh, So it's on supporting and helping uh, the youth in these various countries uh, in in the Caribbean region, but also um, in the United States. So that that programming ranges from, uh, you know, ranging clinics uh, led by former Major League Baseball players uh, from the region or from the U.S. I want to travel to the region, uh, donating gear um you know, after school uh instructional uh classes uh organizing conferences and so it involves uh, elements of uh different parts of my professional background but then you know leaning heavily on our, our our board of directors and then um the key to a lot of this has been partnership so it, it's really just that relationship building and understanding the needs in the region uh, to impact as many people as we can
1: you talked about clinics and some of the major league baseball players that have contributed. Um, is there a few names that have jumped out that you're like, "Wow, it's really cool that I'm actually on the same diamond as this guy," as as he's teaching some of these young kids?
2: Sure. And, uh, I, I, just a uh, point of correction. I'm never. I'm never on the same diamond. I'm. Not, I'm off the field. <laughs> I'm watching, hey, I've I'm seen playing. some of the pictures. You're
1: pretty close. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, no, but as I watched from afar, look, uh, the, the, one of the projects I think it's, it's super interesting and that we're really proud of is what we've done in Jamaica. Because um, when you think about uh you know Caribbean baseball, you think Cuba, you think Dominican, you think Puerto Rico, you don't think Jamaica, and that's because there's only been four major league baseball players from from that island. Uh, but we were fortunate enough to, to to organize a program that's ongoing, actually, uh, led by Justin Masterson, who's a former Indian and Red Sox among other teams and not a lot of people know that he spent the first four years of his life uh, in Kingston, Jamaica. He was born there so uh, about a year and a half ago we organized a program uh, brought him back down to Jamaica. It was the first time he'd been back since uh, since his childhood and uh, it was really introductory in, na- in nature but we organized clinics in three different cities. We gave out baseball gear. We did some, some lectures in, in, in universities, and primary schools and there's really a way to introduce the sport and for Justin to get back to the place where he was born. And um, sure enough, um, the kids really enjoyed the activity learning the sport and, and we're hopeful it it'll help to sort of um, establish a foundation to continue to grow the game um, moving forward. So, you know, there's sort of a range of baseball development throughout the region and, and Jamaica's on, on one end of it. And, uh, I think it was pretty neat to play a role in, uh, in, in maybe growing the sport there.
1: No oh, that sounds great. Uh, you know when we work in sports, work in, you know in your, your line of work in a foundation and community involvement, is there a specific success story you know of uh, somebody an example that you know this foundation or you and and Justin or whoever has touched you know that you're like, wow, that you really maybe have turned somebody in somebody's life in the right direction yeah I don't
2: I don't know if the reports to one specific individual, but you know, the work we've done in Cuba, um, because um, it's been a challenging political situation for so many years, and 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 with the common language of baseball, really building a bridge between the two cultures, I think every time we're able to go down and, and meet new friends and, and create sort of understanding through the game, um, I, you really can see an impact because it's just a way to, to break the ice and to say, hey, listen, there may be all these other challenges outside of the, the diamond, but... If we play ball, if we talk about ball, if we give out baseballs, well, you know, without fail, it's led to other conversations, you know, talking about um, food or family or vacation or, you know, other topics outside of baseball. So that's sort of been my favorite part of of our programming, which is we, we organize what we call experiential trips to the island where we'll take groups of Americans down and introduce them to. Our baseball friends and 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 learn about the baseball culture and history in Cuba, and it's really uh, it's really been an impactful um, initiative for, for both Cubans and Americans that we bring down there. So that's been really neat. And I'll just highlight another, which was in 2018, um, our foundation organized and sponsored a, a baseball art exhibit of a Havana-born uh, and and based. Um, Artist named Renario Tamayo, and we, we helped to bring his baseball art up to, to Washington, D.C. on the margins of the MLB All Star game. And um, we had a, a nice reception, and then a lot of sort of different VIPs coming through to see his art. And again, it, it opened up doors and, and, and the communication beyond baseball because they um, uh, wanted to see the art, and it was baseball art. And then as folks came to see it, and as he got more exposure, it broke down other barriers. And so uh, it was an example of you know how the foundation works, not just on baseball on the field, but, but also off the field through, through
1: art. Right. No, that's great. You mentioned Cuba multiple times. Uh, were you there in 2016 when the Tampa Bay Rays flew to Havana to play the Cuban national team? I remember that being, I know it was just an exhibition. It was a spring training game, but I remember it being such a huge event with uh, President Obama being there, and it, it seemed like it was going to be a real turn. Um, were you at that event? I know uh, some of our ownership group was, and it seemed like it was going to be a, b- a major accomplishment. Yep, no, I was
2: there, uh, and it was sort of the, uh, the highest profile form of baseball diplomacy we've seen in, in recent years, and I know uh, the, the Obama administration wanted to make sure that baseball, as a shared passion between our countries, was on uh, the official itinerary, and you know, it, it met every expectation folks had. I think the youth, the Tampa team won um, two to nothing, but it was it was fun. It was um, it was celebratory, and it was uh, a clear recognition that you know, as I said earlier, despite any differences, that this was something that that everybody uh, everybody loves on, on both sides of the Straits of Florida. So it was an incredible experience, and hopefully, a harbinger of, of better days to come.
1: I thought that that day was yeah. going to, you know, I thought that was going to just start, you know, bringing more Cuban players over to America. We've seen a few, um, we've had our share, but I think there's so much talent there that it's just a matter of time before we even get more guys to make the jump from Cuba. Cause Hey, you think about some of those other nations, the Dominican, all those areas, there's a lot of baseball talent down there and they've, We've seen the minor leagues and the major leagues flood it with those
2: guys. Yep, no doubt about it. And with time, uh, you, you, you will see more Cubans here. But in the meantime, um, you know, as you say, there's an insatiable appetite for baseball throughout that region. And uh, that's where I'm proud that our foundation can, can support with the development, especially for kids that may not have the same opportunities as, as, as others. And, um, you know, you really can't go wrong uh, that they talking, playing baseball, when you're down there, it's and it's a great way to make, uh, make new friends.
0: And make- Tommy, you've had a chance to travel uh, throughout you know, various countries and experience their baseball culture. Um, I've had a chance to see uh, – I've only had a chance to see baseball in Mexico. Um, what has been your experience going to see the games in those different countries? What Are there differences in, in, in the game played in Mexico versus the Dominican versus Cuba? Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, what your experiences have been like throughout your career.
2: Well, I think there's two uh, two observations. One is the fans, right? Um, if you go to a game in the US, uh, there's a lot of other stimuli, right? There's the jumbotron, there's your phone, there's all kinds of goodies to eat and drink and, and to do at the ballpark, which is great, but you don't have all the bells and whistles uh, at some of these stadiums in, in regions. So but I noticed, especially in Cuba, but but also in the other spots, is that the fans are there really and they're focused on the game. And this is something you do see actually more in the US in, in minor league baseball, but you know, there's there's fewer uh, distractions. So it's just all about watching watching the game. Um, and the fans are, are arguing with each other over over, you know, different uh different pitches and and different calls by the umpire. And, and uh, it's really sort of exciting to be part of that emotion because there's a clear, clear uh, emotional connection between not just uh, the, the fans and the players, but, you know, among the fans themselves. And then on the field, I think there's just more of uh, that, that same word emotion. Um, uh, you know, I think when you see some of the, the players from that region in, in, in Major League Baseball, you see a different style, a little more, uh, energy and flair. They call it the Latin flair. And you see that all the time throughout the games in the region, too. It's more of a, a no-holds-barred. There's there's fewer, quote-unquote, unwritten rules, and you can kind of beat yourself out in the field. And that, I think, uh, brings added energy and excitement to the game, too.
0: Uh, without a doubt. I mean, haven't had the opportunity to experience baseball in Mexico. It's uh, in, I've been doing this a long time, and obviously been a baseball fan a long time, but Seeing Mexican baseball takes it to a totally different level. I can't even imagine what it must be like in other countries. Um, didn't have a chance to see it in the Dominican when I traveled there, uh, but hope to someday
2: be able to experience that. Yeah, you um, gotta so have well, uh, you gotta have some live music in the stands. That's that's my re- yes. that's my unsolicited recommendation for uh, Ab- uh, Absolutely, <laughs> I drums. I
0: mean. I- for anyone listening out there, believe me, once we can have some baseball here, we would love to have some sort of music in between. It just brings it to a totally, yeah, I went to, brings it to a totally
2: different level.
1: I went level. to a winter ball game in San Juan, Puerto Rico, I guess about 20 years ago, and came away going, geez, they they play music all the time during the at-bats. You know, it it's it, it's different. <laughs> I mean, the, the game on the field I thought was the same, but the the you know, the acoustics was completely different. It's not just an organ, it's music, people dancing and carrying on. And it certainly yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah. Tommy, um,
0: on that, on that note, tell me, because of the way baseball is right now in Jamaica, we talked a little bit about that. Um, what are their facilities really like? Do they, do they have any type of professional type baseball in Jamaica? I know you mentioned only four players have been there and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Tim. Do we have a, 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 a the Marlins have a player from I think
2: it's the Bahamas? Yeah, we there? have.
1: We had a player that should be here in Wichita right now, Jazz Chisholm, a kid that was from the Bahamas. And right. there's only a handful. I, I think the number is under five two um, for the Baham- mm. for Bahamian, you know, born guys that have made their way to the major leagues. And Jazz hasn't made his way there yet, but um, he's on the brink, you know, right. being here at Triple A, right. Tommy has. Do they
2: have?
0: Do they have professional leagues there, or do they? Is it just so in its infancy that it's just kind of just really starting to? I really can't say in its infancy because they've had some players, you know, from a few years back. But tell us where they are com- comparable to those other countries per se in terms of their professional
2: structure, if they have one. Yeah, they're 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 really in the early stages. Um, maybe one baseball field on the island. Um, and there's uh, a Jamaica Little League uh, Baseball and Softball Association um, and a Jamaica okay. Baseball Association, uh, small, um, and and we partnered with them on all of our all of our projects. But um, you know it's cricket, track and field, soccer, not in that order. Right. I would say track and field, soccer, cricket have <laughs> been the right. um, traditional sports there. So you know you you have competition and um, you know, heckers even been bobsledding as you know. Um, so, yeah. um, <laughs> baseball not, hasn't necessarily been at the front of the mind, but, you know, if you, if you get some of the guys who have played Major League Baseball going back and showing, um, that, uh, you know, there's precedent and that you can have success, um, and that, you know, you're in the neighborhood, uh, right? Because it's, it's, uh, Jamaica is located right there among the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Cuba. Um, mm-hmm. so it's really a grassroots effort to, to build baseball fields, to build interest, starting at the primary level. And then, and then moving up, um, but that's what makes uh, what makes the project so interesting. And of course, with, with a, a ton of good athletes down there and a, and the love of sport, it shouldn't be a tough sell. But it may take time.
0: Right. And then there is there really isn't that um, there isn't a language issue per se. And you know, you ha- if, if we can build something up, that's that's a great breeding ground for future talent of the game and, and another audience for the game. So uh, we definitely applaud. You know, the Caribbean Educational and Baseball Foundation for, you know, for doing the work
2: that it's doing there to build those bridges. We appreciate it.
0: Tommy, um, I want to uh, talk a little bit about um, your uh, Virginia basketball team. Uh, mm-hmm. Still technically the defending NCAA uh, champions.
2: Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That is correct. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's one of the, one of the, uh, uh, uh you know, no, effects of, of bad. not having a tournament this year, but which I would have to have seen. But yep, we're yeah. still the reigning champs and smile is still on my
1: face. Now on the downside, yes, Tommy, man. uh your Washington Nationals are the defending World Series champs and you haven't seen the ring ceremony right. yet.
2: No, no, but still, you know, the 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 two championships <laughs> last year, uh being here in Washington St. Close tomorrow matter, Virginia are, are are staying uh are staying there, so We'll, we'll see until how long, but I'm hopeful that there is a World Series this year and there is uh,
0: a new champion. Even if it's a repeat champion. Let's uh, let's be honest with our listeners, Tommy. How much uh, gear did you end? Uh, championship gear did you end up buying from both uh, championships? Uh that
2: can't be
0: disclosed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Tommy, hey, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to, uh, to join us here on Surge Baseball and beyond. Um, Tim and I obviously applaud the work that you're doing, and uh, we hope that you're staying safe and that, uh, that hopefully that soon you can get back on to doing your work directly with folks and, um,
1: and spreading that goodwill uh, between our countries.
2: Thank you both for for having me on, and, yeah, I hope we can all all play ball again soon.
1: Thanks, Tommy. This has been great, and uh, we appreciate all your work. Look forward for you to make another trip out here to Wichita.
2: Yeah, no, and we're we're looking forward to building a bridge between Wichita and and the Caribbean. So uh, exciting days ahead.